Welcome to the Jewish Roots Life Group. I am Steve Wright, your host, and enjoy this journey with me in increasing your Christianity, your faith, by looking at it through a totally different lens, a Jewish lens, and we'll be taking this journey together and discovering our roots of our faith. All right, shalom, y'all. Welcome to the Jewish Roots Life Group again. And of course, no mystery of what we're going into tonight, the table of showbread. And for once, actually, we have a table here. <laughs> and we have the table of show banana bread, <laughs> which was awesome. Not part of the lesson, but awesome. I mean, I mean, they had manna, we had banana bread. I mean, either way, it's from heaven, right? Do you remember how many banana trees they had in Israel, though? They, they really did. Wow. There was a bunch of banana trees. Wow. They did groves, and they covered them. They covered wow. each of them, I guess, so they wouldn't get, I don't know, bugs, maybe? Or birds, or, birds or who knows. Yeah, they were covered know, with, they like, were these covered. nets. Yeah. yeah. Snow, snow. I don't know. <laughs> well, only, only this last well, month. I don't, I don't know. Monkeys. So there's a lot of things I discovered this week that's new to this because, like I said, I had this planned for a while, but then I had to throw some more stuff in, and you'll see some of the new stuff I'll, I'll show you. But the table of showbread. We'll start off where it is, where it came from, Exodus 25, 23 through 30. And it says, this is the part where the instructions, uh, you'll make it out of acacia wood, two cubits in length, cubit wide, cubit and a half high, overlay it with pure gold, make a molding of gold around it, make a rim around it, and all that is to be made of gold. You'll make four rings, fasten each ring to the four corners where the four legs are. Um, Close to the frame of the rings, it will be uh, holders. The poles will be of acacia wood covered in gold. And you'll carry it with the poles. You'll make plates and dishes for incense and flagons. I'll tell you what that is. <laughs> and bowls which pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold. And you shall see the bread of presents. That's not the banana bread, it's different bread. <laughs> the bread of presence on the table before me regularly. Here we are. Now, these are the instructions. So, a little bit further in Exodus, here's where they're carried out. Exodus 37, 10 through 16 is where they actually carry these instructions out. Bezalel, remember we talked about him in previous lessons. Uh, he made the table of acacia wood, and it was two cubits long one cubit wide, one and a half high, he overlaid it with pure gold, made a border, made a rim, and exactly as it was instructed, he made carrying poles, and here it is, are you ready? I, we wanted to know what that word was, if you go down to 16, he said, he made the utensils, those are flagons, <laughs> which were to be on the table, dishes and pans for the bread, bowls and jars for pouring, drink offerings, pure gold. Now, remember when I said most everything of the tabernacle was made from acacia wood. The posts that goes all the way around, the altar of, uh, the altar of sacrifice, and it was overlaid with bronze. 
the posts were overlaid with bronze, and then when you get to the structure itself, you have acacia wood overlaid with gold. So mostly everything was made of wood, except the labor. Remember, it wasn't made of wood. It was pure copper, brass, right? And also something we'll cover next week, which if you catch what I'm saying, it'll bright idea. <laughs> so there, there, only, there were three items that were not made of wood. The basin to wash, the labor, the uh, items, the utensils here for, for the table, the menorah, which is next week, and the lid to the Ark of the Covenant, which is the mercy seat. Those are the only things that did not have wood. In case you're wondering. <laughs> and there's a significance to that which we'll get to at the end of the whole series, but let's move on. Here it is. So here's where it was made. Now, of course, all of this means something. <laughs> this is a representation of what it may have looked like, and this is kind of a quiz here. <laughs> Keep you on your toes. All right, so here is the Bread. We haven't really gone over the bread yet, except for the banana bread in the back of the table. <laughs> Exodus 25 says, the table and the poles were made of wood, acacia wood, overlaid with gold. gold. All right. The table and the poles were overlaid with gold. The rim, the molding were made of gold. How many of each? How many rings? Four. Four. And what was to be put on the table? Bread, utensils, pouring vessels. There you go. Pretty simple, huh? And I'll go ahead and throw this in. This is what I was talking earlier. Does this kind of resemble something that we might be familiar with? You've got bread and then a thing to pour something to drink. Communion. Communion. <laughs> the bread and the wine, right? What syrup? <laughs> and what? And syrup. I'm hungry. Syrup. Yeah, pancakes and syrup. Yeah, that's what it looks like. So communion, and we'll get to that toward the end. But just wanted to point that out. This is the uh, place in southern Israel where they actually have a life-size replica of the tabernacle that you can go visit. And Sergio and Rhoda do have a video over this. This is from their video here. This is what it may have looked like. And this is life-size to scale. And here's a priest. Here's the high priest. Here's the altar of incense. We haven't gotten to it yet. The menorah. And we're on the table of showbread here. I just put this picture in here to show you a couple of things. Remember how I said once you go inside, everything is gold. The walls are gold, columns are gold, and the base is silver. Silver meaning redemption, gold meaning deity. Gold, gold, gold. All right, now, one thing I noticed in this, if this is a life-size replica, this altar, which we haven't gotten to, but that's coming, goes about to mid-waist. So it's, it's not very high at all. 
and the table, they're standing kind of far away from the table. The table's not that big. It's a cubit and a half high. A cubit and a half, if it's 18 inches more or less for a cubit, so 18, then half of 18 is 9, 18, it's 24 inches, so it's 2 feet tall. So that's only 2 feet tall-ish. Right? Not very tall. All right. And we can see this is on the Arch of Titus in Rome. Or, yeah, I think Rome. Arch of Titus, it shows, th this is from the actual Arch of Titus. Here is the table from the temple. And they're carrying it. They're showing them carrying it off when they went to the temple and tore the temple down. And they are carrying off all the stuff inside the temple. Here they're carrying the the table of showbread here. And you can see by them carrying it, it's not that big. So I was, I was envisioning before I started all this, a table, but actually it's more like a nightstand type <laughs> size. I mean, I mean, it wasn't that big, you know. So what were the dimensions? Two by one, two cubits long, one cubit wide, two, father, son, one, Holy Spirit, together in one piece of furniture to show you how they support Jesus or Yeshua. Right? Two and one to make three. One and a half high, right? One and a half high because it was placed in the inner place, not the Holy of Holies, meaning you are only halfway to the presence of God. It's three cubits, right? Two by one is three, but it's only one and a half high which is half of three, correct? You're with me so far? Mm -hmm. So you've come into the inner, or the holy place, some people say. You're in the inner. you got one more place to go. That's the holy of holies. So it's to show you that it's only half of three. You're only halfway there. Whoa, living on a prayer. <laughs> so you're only halfway. You've just come in, you've got one more room to go, you're halfway to the presence of God, to the Ark of the Covenant, to the Holy of Holies. Halfway there. Mark 16, so then when Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Matthew 16, 19. And what it's saying is, Jesus in his mission... Right, He was taken into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. When he was here, he was only halfway there. Which means this is a temporary place until he gets to the permanent place. And guess what the tabernacle was? A temporary thing until we get to the permanent thing. And this is the whole theme to the table of showbread, which I'm going to show you. So by the numbers, as Rabbi Sobel would say, here, here we go. The rim and the border, and this is the part that's new. I said, it mentioned specifically it had a rim and it had a border. It's got to mean something. Aha, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> rim is 119. Also the words taste and bread are 119. Healer, 119. And lion, 119. Guess who that could be talking about? Let's see. Could Jesus be the bread of life? Could Jesus be the healer? Could Jesus be from the lion, the tribe of Judah? I wonder if. 
border, 221. And what has the same numerical value, 221? Come and oracle. And you say, what the heck is an oracle? I've got the little definition down here for us cheaters. <laughs> an oracle is a person in whom deity is said to speak. So it's someone who speaks from deity. So Jesus says, come, and he is the oracle, someone who speaks with deity. Justify and acceptance. So do you think Jesus is saying, come to me, I will justify you, and I will accept you? All this from the rim and from the border, which is on the table. Alright, Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. Here we go, now we're getting into the bread. That was the table, now we're getting into the bread. You shall make fine flour and bake 12 cakes. So next time you're going to have to make 12 banana cakes. <laughs> to, to, to be biblical, according to Leviticus. <laughs> and it should be the banana bread of presence. <laughs> the bread of presence of showbread, it's made from two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf or cake. You shall set it in front of the presence in two rows of six. So six and six, two rows. On the pure gold table before the Lord, you shall put pure frankincense with it beside each row, so it may be with the bread as a memorial portion offering by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange the showbread before the Lord as an everlasting covenant. The bread of presence shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a sacred place. For it is for Aaron most holy portion offerings, fire to the Lord. So only Aaron and his sons, the high, the high priest and the priests, could eat the bread. And every Sabbath they had to swap it out, which means they take the bread that's on the table out and put the new bread on. And only they could do it. And that's important because later on at the end of this, you're going to see how important that that is to us. Because only this certain people could do that, had the right to do that. Why frankincense? Why did frankincense have to be with the bread? Glad you asked. <laughs> Was it not one of the gifts that the wise men or the magi brought to baby Jesus? Gold, frankincense, myrrh, right? So yes. Also, it's one of the spices used for embalming. Ancient Egypt has used frankincense as part of the embalming process for centuries. And so, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but it's also used as a sweet, woody aroma that enhances mood by diminishing feelings of stress, anxiety, while improving concentration and memory. Well, let's think about this. You have a priest going into the inner or the holy, right, to make sure everything is like God wanted it to be. Wouldn't it be really like God to put in frankincense, the smoke of frankincense, so that you could not be stressed, anxious, 
and concentrate and have good memory on what it is I'm supposed to be doing? <laughs> so isn't that cool? And you wonder why they bought it, brought it to the baby Jesus. Because you need to start burning that in my office. Yes. <laughs> because think about it, babies, and I'm, I'm not saying anything bad about baby Jesus. I'm just saying babies are moody, temperamental, they cry a lot, but yes, if you have the smoke of frankincense that would help diminish those feelings, and so it would help soothe an infant child. And frankincense has the numerical value of 93, which also has a numerical value, it means reviving or wise. Hmm, wise, wise men brought frankincense, right? Reviving, that's what it just got done explaining. Now, smoke has a numerical value of 185. Also with 185 is Behold Me God, Shiloh, and Hebron. And you say, what the heck does that have to do with anything? All right. When they put the frankincense on there, it was in the form of a smoke. Right? They put the fire on it and it made the smoke. All right. That's why you get the smoke. And behold me, God. It's showing that this holy smoke is showing you that God's presence. And Shiloh, when Shiloh comes, we're going to get to that in a minute. But that phrase, we looked at Shiloh. Remember, Shiloh was the last known place of the tabernacle before the temple was built. Hebron or Hebron? King David left Hebron, which was actually the capital of the Jews before Jerusalem. When David defeated the Jebusites in Jerusalem, then he moved everything to Jerusalem and made it the capital. But before that, it was Hebron, or Hebron, however you want to pronounce it. So there's, you're saying, well, what does it have to do with anything? We're, we're going there. Trust me, just hold on. <laughs> we're only at the frankincense. <laughs> now here's two-tenths of an ephah. All right. This is how much flour was to make the cakes. Number 10 in the Bible is a symbol of perfection, harmony, creation. It's also a number of integration, discipline, laws, and wholeness. The phrase, God said, is repeated 10 times in Genesis. His word reflected in 10 commandments as well that symbolize the ultimate law. 10 commandments, the number 10. Two tenths of an ephah. Two tenths, two sets of ten commandments. You say, two sets? Yes. One, he threw down and broke. Then he went back up the mountain and got the second set. Right? So there's two sets. A crumbled set that he broke and one that was rewritten <laughs> because he broke the first one. Alright? Revelation has ten in it. Remember, when you read the book of Revelation, it had ten crowns, ten horns, the, you know, all that. So ten is throughout the Revelation. Also, there's two tens of completion, meaning Jew and Gentile. And what Rabbi Sobo was saying is that Jew and Gentile, the Ten Commandments, the two sets, the first set was broken, the second set was remade. He said that part was the Jew, the broken one then the one remade was for the Gentile, so that eventually the two would come together and become one set of ten commandments. Now, what is an ephah? No, it wasn't my grade point average in high school. <laughs> what is an ephah? 
right? Here's where it gets kind of interesting. Abraham's father, Abraham is the father of Midian. Midian is the father of Ephah. So Ephah was an actual person. All right? And it was also a measuring quantity. Something you made like a cup or an ounce. Ephah was an actual measurement, but is also a person. Now watch this. You have grandpa, dad, son. Abraham leaves his home, produces a son, Midian, and it forms a new people from Ephah. And you say, okay, what's that got to do with bread? We're going there. Moses, right, leaves Egypt, goes to Midian, <laughs> and produces a son, Gerson, which is now Mount Gerson, or Gershom, where Shiloh is located. The last known location of the tabernacle before temple was born. And before the temple was in Jerusalem. So you have, you're seeing a pattern here. You have leaving, producing, and newness. Right? Jesus leaves his home in heaven, becomes the firstborn son, and produces a new people, the church, destined for a permanent place to worship. So the whole thing is about there's a father leaving, producing a son, and going to someplace permanent. What do you think we as a church are doing? We're producing, and we're leaving this place to go to a permanent place. That's what the tabernacle is all about. A temporary place showing you that you're going eventually to a permanent place. Now for them it was Canaan, as they would say, and I'll show you that in a minute, but it was actually Israel. And I'll point that out in a minute. So here's your gist of what that means. Now, Ephah has a numerical value of 165. Is mentioned again in Isaiah 60, verse 6, as a transporter of gold and frankincense from Sheba, who shall thus bring enlargement to Judah and praise to Yahweh. Which means that Ephah brought the frankincense from this place, from a temporary place to a permanent place for the praise of God. Is that not what we do? We're here temporarily to deliver things up to there in a permanent place for the praise of God. <laughs> All right, 165. Oh, I'm sorry, Ephraim. 165 means congregation, strong people. So what it all is saying is that you're a temporary thing. It's a congregation, a church of strong people that is going to a permanent place. Here you go. Here's your showbread. <laughs> the table of showbread always faced the most holy place or the holy of holies toward the presence of God. Always faced it. And we're going to see what this word means. Showbread in Hebrew, here it is, is lechem hapanim. Literally means the bread of faces. And we'll get to that. In the King James Version, it says showbread or shoebread. 
In biblical or Jewish context, it refers to the cakes or loaves of bread that was always present on the table, specially dedicated to the temple in Jerusalem as an offering to God. So it refers to showbread, and I'll, we're going, going into this, but I'm just laying the foundation here. Now there are 12 loaves, two columns of six. Six here, six here. All right, what other mentions of 12 are there in the Bible? 12 disciples? Before that, how, how? 12 tribes. 12 tribes of Israel? Now you can say 12 apostles or disciples. Any others you can think of? Of 12. Okay. How about 12 months to a calendar? How about 12 minor prophets? How many of you knew that? There are major prophets and minor prophets. And I just learned this, and I showed her the other day. How many major prophets are there? Five! Five. <laughs> I wonder how you got that. How many books of the Torah? Five. <laughs> how many minor prophets? Twelve. So you see how these numbers are just reveal everything. Twelve spies were sent to the promised land to spy out Canaan. Were they not? And there were twelve sons of Ishmael. I won't go into that one, but... Twelve baskets full after feeding the five thousand. Wait a minute. How many loaves did they start out with? Five. How many fishies? Two. And this is from Matthew chapter 14. So they started out with five loaves and ended up with 12 baskets left over. <laughs> Revelation chapter 22. The tree of life bears 12 fruits. So do you see there's a theme to this 12 thing all throughout New Testament, Old Testament, how it all comes together. From the 12 loaves. Now, by the numbers, 388. Here's where the story is going to go off a little bit. And you're like, where the heck is this ending up? But you'll see. And here it is. It's a lot, but hold on. So this week's Torah portion was known as the Shelalecha. Send for yourself. Send for yourself. That has a numerical value of 388. And it means when they sent out the spies to spy out Canaan. All right? in Numbers 13, verse 1. And that phrase, Shelalecha, is 388, has a connection because it's also for the numerical value of Chalash, the word in Biblical Hebrew for week. Not week as in seven days, but week as in not strong. Send for yourself and week has the same numerical value. And what does that mean? It means that the fact that they sent the spies to spy out Canaan, they sent them in weakness of faith. Their faith was weak because they didn't trust God, because was God going to give them something that was not good when he told them it was flowing with milk and honey? He said, I'm giving it to you. There it is. But we need to send spies to go check it out first. That was in their weakness of faith. All right. So what's so fascinating is in Hebrew, the last three letters of the phrase 
flowing with milk and honey. The last three letters is the same that spells out Shabbat or Sabbath, which means rest. So God was saying, I'm giving you a land flowing with milk and honey to give you rest. And what did you do? You sent out spies because you didn't trust me. The spies lacked faith. They trusted in God's promises. And as evidence of their weak faith, they referred to the promised land as Canaan, not Israel. When the spies came back, they called it Canaan, not Israel. They lacked the faith of their forefather Jacob to fight for God's promises. But, in the same way, Moses sent out 12 spies to prepare the way. Watch this. Here's where it links together. So, you got the spies in the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. Jesus, Yeshua, sent 12 apostles out into the world. And the Hebrew word for apostle is emissary or shil shiliach which comes from the root word shlach, to send. Messiah sent out 12 apostles as a correction or repair for the sin of the 12 spies. 12 spies, 12 apostles. Weak faith, power, Holy Spirit. Now, the numbers support this view. The number 388 also has Remember when I said, until Shiloh comes, right? That's from Genesis 49.10. Until Shiloh comes, the rabbis agree it's referring to Jesus, the Messiah. The phrase anointed, your anointed, Mashiach, is the same, 388. And our sorrows he bore yet we, Isaiah 53.4, is also the same numerical value of 388. Through Jesus, or through Yeshua, is the same 388. And it's a vital part of the apostles' message. In Shulchan, the Hebrew word for table. Okay, here we go. Remember how I said it was going to come back? The word for table is 388. All right, so here we go. We're, gonna, we're come, coming back to the table now. As in the table of showbread. Also equals 388. It points to the table of the Lord which we partake when we eat, we break bread during the Lord's Supper. Yeshua was sent from heaven to give the bread of life for all who believe. This is the teaching of John 6. But, because he was saying these things, it caused many to lose faith and walk away from Jesus. Such rejection echoes the twelve spies in the wilderness who could not comprehend the plan of God. So just as in Jesus' day, when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, you know, I'm the life, come to me, they couldn't take it. Same way the spies, they couldn't take it. Even though it was right there in front of their eyes. They were looking at the promised land. They were looking at Jesus, the promised Messiah, and they couldn't take it. You see the co correlation? All right. Only those with strong and enduring faith will have privilege to eating at the table of the Lord at the marriage supper of the Lamb through Yeshua, which will occur in the era of Messiah. So this is a very strong statement. If you have weak faith like the spies, 
you won't have the privilege of eating at the table of the Lord. And that's what this is saying. Jesus, the bread of life, as he says in John 6. Here's all the 388s that we went through. And you can see here, those whose faith is not weak will eat from the table of the Lord through Yeshua in the era of Messiah. Which means you're going from something temporary to something permanent. Because when we get to the table of the Lord at the marriage feast, that's permanent. But this is temporary. Right? Now, you remember me telling you this from a while back, right? Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is two words, Beth and Lechem. Beth or Bet means house of. And lechem means bread. So the bread of life was born in the house of bread. <laughs> is that not... Is, is that, is it, now, I'm going to show you more about the table here. Are there more mysteries about the table? Of course there are. <laughs> That's why we're here. First, this bread reveals Yeshua, Jesus, who announced himself as the living bread which came down from heaven. And if anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for you, John 6, 51. With this connection between Yeshua's body and bread in mind, let's look at the King James Version that says shoe bread, right? which means to display or show forth after the resurrection of his body, the gospel says Jesus showed himself again to the disciples. John 21.1, emphasis added. Same word that they use for showbread, here when Jesus showed himself to the apostles after he rose, same word. That's where they get showbread. He was showing himself. He was presenting himself. All right. Second point. The bread of presence reveals the church. Who are we? The church. <laughs> Consider the apostles' words to the believers in Corinth. The bread which we break, isn't it the sharing of the Messiah's body? Since there is only one bread, we who are many are one body. We all partake of the one bread. 1 Corinthians 10, 16-17. Of course, there's an overlap here of scriptures refers to the church as the body of Messiah. See 1 Corinthians 12, 27. It makes perfect sense that we discover the realities of the table. What's it saying is, we are many, but we're taken of the same bread. And that bread is Jesus. And guess what that bread does to us? It makes us all one. We're all partaking of the same bread. Body, bread, same body, right? So the church is all partaking of Jesus. And that's what makes us one. Jesus is what makes us one. That's why when you say the Shemach, the Shemach meaning, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. It's not saying there's one God. It's saying that he makes us one through his body. What's the body? The church. Who are we? The church. 
the body. So that's how we're all one. Finally, the table is the bread of presence, which reveals our identity in Jesus. Do you remember when I said that only Aaron and his sons could go in and handle the bread? Watch this. This is our identity in Jesus. It was reserved exclusively for priests. Remember Leviticus 24.9? And Matthew, that's where we talked about Aaron and his sons. In the Last Supper, he took bread, broke it, gave thanks, and said, This is my body. Do this in memory of me. Luke 22.19. We are members of a royal priesthood now, as it says in 1 Peter 2.9 who by Jesus' blood, Yeshua's blood, we've been made a kingdom of Kohanim. Kohanim is the Hebrew word for priest. So we have been made a kingdom of priests to God the Father, Revelation 1.5. So because of the bread, because of Jesus' body, we are now of the same lineage of Aaron. We have the same rights that Aaron and his sons did to come and partake of the body, the bread, that they could only do every now and then, once every Sabbath, when they went and changed out the bread. We can do it now, just as they did, because we're a royal priesthood, a kingdom. But there's more. <laughs> this is a famous painting. <laughs> That's the only one we get. I could come up with. But why the bread had to be on a table? Why couldn't it be on a stand? You know, why did it have to be on a table? And I put this here for a reason. Because it shows that you are no longer a slave. When Jesus went with the apostles or disciples in the upper room to have this supper, the last supper, they reclined. And they reclined at the table to show that they were no longer slaves. Only free people could do that. Slaves could not do that. So what is the saying? In Jesus, the bread of life, we are no longer slaves. We're free. Because, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, if you know the truth, the truth shall make you free. And that's the story of the tabernacle and Moses. Moses led the people out of Egypt, which is bondage, which is slavery. They were free, right? Why do we eat at the table? Because we're free. We're no longer a slave to sin. We're no longer a slave to fear or whatever held us bondage. We're free from that through the life, through the bread of life. Now do you look at the bread and communion in a totally different way? When you remember when it says, if you partake of this in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of the body of Christ. Now you can remember all of this and remember what it's all about. Remember the spies in Canaan and their weak faith. And remember how we are now royal priests. We have the same access as Aaron and his sons to Jesus. So when we partake of communion now, 
when we come to the table of the Lord, this is what we should keep in mind, that we are worthy. He makes us worthy. And isn't it ironic, <laughs> I guess you'd say, Remember we went all around the tabernacle at first and now we're starting to go inside, right? We went to the altar, that sacrificed the flesh. We went to the laver to wash and be clean. Now we're going inside and now we come to the bread. And the bread is our truth. The bread is our life. It's where we receive the word. It's where we receive Jesus in our lives for real, not just... Oh, I got Jesus in my life. No, this is where we receive We eat it and we take it in and we digest it and we really have it. So, the next time we come, we are going to start in with the other piece on the other side. And it's going to be illuminating. Because <laughs> it will be the menorah. <laughs> and there's two of those. There, there's not two menorahs, but there's two teachings on a menorah. Next would be the first one. And I hope that this has shown you a new understanding of the table of showbread. Why it was a table? It was just a short little table, but it's to show you that this is, this is all temporary because we're only halfway there. We're only here for a short time until we go to the permanent place. That was the tabernacle. It was a temporary dwelling till they could build a temple. Until Shiloh comes, well, they were on Shiloh. That was the last known place. And then they built the temple permanent place. So it's all saying that, hey, it's okay. As long as you stick with the bread of life, we're going to a permanent place. And we want to be at the marriage supper table of the Lord when he comes. Amen? Amen. That's right. <laughs>